Good morning. Happy Friday. Welcome back to the Social Room Podcast. I'm your host, Alec Ruman. Uh, this is the third episode, so we've already made it further than I thought we would. Uh, last week, I covered generative AI and its effects on society, and I have some points to add later on in this week's podcast uh, to discuss some more topics than I usually do to kind of pad out the runtime so you get more bang for your buck. Uh, I'll be visiting some topics I went over in the last few episodes and seeing what kind of progress has been made. Um, this week, however, the main point I want to discuss is Meta's algorithm for Facebook and Instagram. Uh, a lot of people getting into using social media for business may not understand how the algorithm works and how they can leverage it. And a lot of consumers on social media may not entirely understand how the algorithm markets to them and uh, may want to become more aware of how, you know, the services that they use on their phone can serve them content. So, you know, I want the Social Room podcast to be about some news and about some marketing tips, and I want it to be, you know, educational. So I hope this is a good explanation for anyone who is interested to learn and understand because the algorithm that we interact with has become extremely important, not only in the way that we communicate with others, but kind of in the way that we interact with uh, different companies and platforms and make transactions online. So uh, when someone makes a post on Facebook or Instagram and threads, uh, Meta uh, assigns it a personalized score based on the user's searching habits and based on three factors. Uh, the three factors being who posted the specific post, uh, the type of content that it was, and the interactions with it. So, yeah, when who posted it, the first one relies on if you interact with the person who, you know, made it, whether it be a friend, an influencer, a business, uh, an actor, etc. Um, you know, the second one, a type of content, is the medium of which the content is delivered to you. So if it's a video, if it's a photo, maybe it's like a carousel, uh, depending on how you interact with it and which one you interact with more as a user, uh, Meta's algorithm will align it to you. So uh, YouTube's algorithm can tend to act the same. So for example, I tend to watch a lot of long-form video content like video essays or podcasts. So my YouTube recommended feed wipes short-form content like YouTube Shorts completely and provides me exclusively with these beefy videos of like 45 minutes or more. And it may look completely different to somebody else who uses YouTube just the same as I do. Uh, and then finally, the interactions with the post. Um, the more there are, the more the post will be recommended to you, especially if the people engaging with said post um, is, are users that you interact with. So goes back to that first one. Um, this can be optimized by users in their settings, um, like the feed preferences, or you can select like favorites. Uh, there's also the drop-down menu per post um, that says you're not interested, or if it's an ad, you can hide it or hide the advertisers, or you can even snooze suggested posts like on Instagram. Uh, otherwise, though, uh, those are the three factors I mentioned earlier that the way Meta scores their posts. Uh, this works for ads and reels and stories, too, uh, for those of you who are interested going down those routes. Um, though ads are a little more fine-tuned, considering that, you know, the ads manager can serve ads to a certain demographic, uh, as well as the action the advertiser wants them to take, such as clicking on a link or buying a product. Uh, so, with that in mind, for businesses that want to play nice with the algorithm, uh, I would recommend leveraging short form video, uh, vertical video content as this seems to be the most applicable to the algorithm. Uh, firstly, 
They're the easiest to consume by users and tend to have more engagement uh, as the user's attention is held during the entire duration of the video, which is pretty short. Uh, this is especially effective for brand advertising. Uh, you want the video to be short and you want it to be snappy and engaging. And not only that, uh, but you have the most po uh, possible places for these advertisements to appear. Uh, not only do they appear in feeds, but considering their aspect ratio of the video, uh, they can appear on reels and stories because they're in the right format. Uh, I'm not too interested in explaining what works in the algorithm, though. Uh, more along the lines of how the algorithm itself works. Uh, if you're interested in more of an in-depth explanation on how to make viral content that kind of leverages that algorithm, I could do that another week. Um, another way that the algorithm itself tends to be leveraged is by using user-generated content. Uh, if you want a viral marketing campaign, let's talk about McDonald's. So last month, June, was huge because they rolled out the uh, Happy Birthday Grimace campaign, uh, a birthday celebration for one of the iconic characters from Ronald McDonald Land, and creating him a personal meal with a purple Grimace shake. I am so, so tired of hearing about it, and honestly, I'm sure you are too, but this is extremely successful and has been kind of like a latch key moment, I think, for using user-generated content online to promote your brand. Um, and I don't even think McDonald's anticipated the response that they got. Uh, beginning June, I was on a trip with my friends in the Smoky Mountains, and we saw the t-shirts on the crew members that said, Happy Birthday Grimace, and we're like, okay, like, what's this about? And we we're kind of laughing about it, like, that's funny. And the meal and everything hadn't ruled out yet, but later on we discovered that they'd have Grimace take over their social media pages. Kind of like if you handed it over to an influencer and they kind of like controlled your brand for a day. Some people do that. Um, they just have like the influencer act as sort of a spokesperson for like a, a given amount of time. It's a, it's called a takeover. Um, then uh, the meal rolls out for McDonald's and it seems to be a pretty decent success. Uh, I didn't have it. A lot of people said the shake was not that good uh i think it was mixed berry uh anyways though like people on tiktok and instagram it they just start churning out these videos of people trying the shake and then they like cut away to them like dying or throwing up or seizing and they're covered in the grimace shake this ironic meme kind of campaign that people were doing as a joke became bigger than the original campaign itself. And McDonald's ran with it, causing the CMO, Mark Shaver, to do the challenge himself, embracing the meme that the combo meal had created. So each one of these videos had someone buy the shake, and even with that sort of negative or ironic connotation to it, people still went out to buy it and try it because it's still word of mouth, still marketing, and it became viral. Uh, going back to how this interacts with Meta's algorithm, this hits all three parts. So who posted it? Originally, it was McDonald's, a brand that you interact with and know. And they release a meal and they have Grimace take over their social media page. Your friend just re... And, and then, you know, the, the, the little TikTok campaign comes out with the people doing like the what? The Grimace challenge. And they're like covered in the shake and like pretending to die. Your friend just made that another friend reposted it, or maybe you did, or a popular influencer does it, 
and then gets people duoing with the video. It's <laughs> you're damn well going to see someone writhing on the ground covered in a spilled purple milkshake. It's like every possible way that you could get people to interact with this. It it happened. And then again, the second part of the algorithm the type of content is short form vertical videos. It's the easiest to consume. It's the most promoted by the algorithm. None of these videos that people were making in jest of the Grimace meal were longer than 15 seconds. Um, I mean, none that I had seen at least. So again, that's easier for people to consume and more people consume it, boom. And the interactions part, as I said before, talk about a trend. Everyone is liking, sharing, doing the challenge. The user-generated content for the meal brought this marketing campaign to the next level. Uh, CNN Business cites uh, the hashtag Grimace or hashtag Grimace Shake had gotten around 640 million and 750 million views, respectively. I don't think they've released the stats on the total likes or engagements, though, or at least not from what I could find. Uh, but that's what I'm saying. Uh, like, this is extremely successful. And, like, obviously, they're already pushing towards something to be viral in the first place. But, like, there's no way that they saw that this would happen. And some businesses, like, locally refuse to move forward into that digital age and use social media to promote their brand. They might still use billboards or TV or radio, but that's not what is driving sales anymore. McDonald's just closed out Q uh, quarter two of 2023 with astronomical sales, with a marketing campaign that was almost entirely generated by fans or consumers of their brand. So you might not reach as high as McDonald's with your campaign online, but you can damn well get close. Uh, Animoto cites that 93% of brands receive new customers from social media marketing. Oberlo cites that positive social media interactions drive new customers by 71%. And Bain Capital says that interacting with a business causes customers to spend 20 to 40% more money. Old world advertising doesn't get these numbers anymore. And that's what I've been telling businesses when I meet with them for a discovery meeting. And McDonald's doesn't even have, for this one, have their most successful part of their ad campaigns come from spending money. Sure, like they had to buy the ingredients and pay for labor to create the meals and the shakes, but you had influencers and just the regular person online generating content pretending to die and it got McDonald's traffic and it was totally free. And again, going back to those statistics, imagine how much more money people spent, like 20 to 40% more money in the line through McDonald's just because they saw online about the Grimace meal and they wanted to try it. Now, I'm singing the praises of McDonald's now, but this isn't successful all the time. A couple of years ago, they had a campaign for people to <laughs> to people to create a burger on an online burger creator. And if you're like around my age, you might remember like Papa's Burgeria, the flash game on like <laughs> websites that you'd play in school. So it's kind of like you make a burger there and then you put any name you want. No term was blacklisted and <laughs> you send it to McDonald's now. I don't have to tell you what happened after that, but McDonald's, you know, quickly pulled the advertising campaign 
and nobody got to try any of the burgers. So all in all, uh, for anyone interested in growing their platform online, optimize user-generated content or at least let your customer base interact with you. So creating polls, making a challenge, getting influencers involved who may be tied to your brand or some way associated or maybe just someone you enjoy. And don't be afraid to let people be creative and run with it. Nothing is worse than someone like at a party who just can't seem to have any fun. So why make your business the same way? People love to see the more human side of a business that they know. And once you tap into that, it creates sympathy and loyalty. And once you get people creating user-generated content, it's just, I mean, it's just free advertising to you. Um, for users and consumers, however, I just want to touch on something really quick. Since we're on the algorithm, uh, and this is something that the algorithm can have an effect on, which is confirmation bias. Uh, I know that's very apart from the business aspect that I was just discussing before, but when we have an algorithm specifically select things that we as consumers are more likely to resonate and engage with, it can in turn cause us to be served things that are specifically catered to our own bias and opinions. So for example, say I really, really hate Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. I think it sucks. And I think J.J. Abrams totally fumbled the bag on that movie. And even more so, Disney trashed the entire sequel trilogy and the brand by not having a plan for their movies. So I hate those movies. And I would like someone to tell me and talk to me about how much I hate those movies. Now, when I go on YouTube, what would YouTube recommend me knowing that I don't like the sequel trilogy? I would wager that they'd show me YouTubers endlessly dunking on the Disney Star Wars movies like Red Letter Media and Mahler, and less people who are really enjoying the Star Wars, uh, Disney Star Wars and like kind of promoting it. This has happened to me, and I love those, I love those videos, but you know, this can be for anything. Specific brands that you enjoy or music genres and like the recommendations you get uh, off of Spotify or Apple Music. Uh, and it branches into political affiliations and the news that you consume. A country music listener doesn't want to listen to French House, and a Democrat doesn't want to hear the rhetoric of a Deep South pro-life congressman. And the algorithm supports this notion by serving content to people that you know the user will most likely enjoy. I think that this can cause some serious detriment if we're not careful and aware i know that some people i know who specifically say that there's like a rabbit hole that the algorithm can send you on youtube where it can make you more radicalized on one side of the political spectrum or another and they've been through it and they can talk to me about it and i think that's really interesting another example of this uh andrew tate rising meteorically influencing the algorithm and the manosphere by using kind of user-generated content of people reacting to his clips or posting them all together, kind of like how McDonald's kind of leveraged the Grimace Shake trend and uh, used it to their advantage to drive more revenue. Now, I'm not saying that the algorithm is evil and out to get us, but I think it's a tool that we should be aware of, whether it be content creators or consumers uh, just know that the algorithm is there and we should be mindful of it. 
And just keep your eyes open because as much of it, how great of a tool it is for businesses to drive traffic, it can be a little predatory as the consumer. And I think not we aren't paying enough attention to that. So just keep that in mind. Um, cool. Part one is done. I want to go back and revisit some topics from the last few episodes and see what's going on there. Uh, so last week I talked about generative AI and I told you at the end of the episode that I'd be back. Uh, I'm going to be talking about AI probably forever at this rate. A uh, couple of things, all from TechCrunch. Uh, Google is testing an AI tool to write the news. Now, before anyone gets up in arms about how journalists are about to be replaced, blah, blah, blah. Uh, let me get you a quote from the article. Uh, quote, Google reportedly, reportedly believes that the tool can serve as a personal assistant to journalists by automating tasks in order to free up to others. Further down, they quote, um, the tools are not intended to and cannot replace the essential role journalists have in reporting, creating, and fact-checking their articles, end quote. They also use the term responsible technology to describe the tool that they've codenamed Genesis. Uh, so this tool can be used to generate headlines or use different writing styles for a different story, which I think sounds kind of cool. Um, perhaps a journalist moves from the Washington Post to the Onion. I'm not saying that would ever happen, but they need help writing in a more satirical fashion. Uh, it sounds a little silly, but I, I'm just trying to think of application here. Um, but the fact that it can write headlines is kind of a serious plus. Uh, I can't write titles for the life of me uh, for anything. So I think that could be totally useful uh, to have these high converting news articles with better headlines that they don't have to sit there and have writers block about. Uh, another thing that I think is kind of badass, um, there's a startup company called Noose, I think, N-O-U-S. I'm just going to call it Noose. Um, launched an assistant on their app to help with and manage household bills. Uh, users can connect their email inboxes and upload their bills, and the assistant kind of tells them what to do, and they have it automatically. And if they can save money or if there's anything that they're missing or they're going to you know, go under on their bills. Uh, again, I mentioned last week, people are wanting to have something that can take away from these menial tasks and automate them. And it looks like that's what NOS is going to do here. They've raised $10 million so far in venture capital seed funding. And I'm sure their Series A is going to be on the way. Um, yeah, so not bad for a company based off of OpenAI's framework. Speaking of OpenAI, they've now input prompts for ChatGBT. So you don't have to put the same thing over and over again if you're looking for specific results. Prompt wizards, like I said last time, if you've got something that works, you're going to use it over and over and keep those secrets close to your chest. So people are going to be really keeping these keywords that they use for generative AI and kind of have them be a business secret for things that they produce so nobody can replicate the same thing just hopping on ChatGBT. Um, you know, kind of it kind of sounded more interesting to retread ground on AI, but honestly, it, it just seems like it's going to be the same story if I keep going. Uh, all in all, let's embrace AI to be our helpers. We're not going to get replaced. Uh, human ingenuity is extremely important. Um, everything is going to be fine. Uh, and then to close out to this week's episode, I want to touch back in with the first topic of our first episode, which was threads versus Twitter. 
Uh, it's been about two weeks, and we've had some time to step back and look at the aftermath of the launch of Threads, and we can see from some studies that um, the average user uh, spends less time on Threads. Usage has more than halved, dropping to six minutes over uh, 21 minutes from its peak to two weeks ago. So, I mean, that doesn't sound that great. And obviously this is anecdotal, but when I opened threads after a few minutes, I had wrecked like right back down to posts I had seen a day before. It's not as active as I personally thought it would be from the first episode. And here's why I think that is. Uh, firstly, Twitter kind of got its stuff together and got another leg up by removing the rate limit changes that caused people to be locked out after like five minutes of using the app. Not only that, but I think the choice that they recently made about sharing ad revenue uh, to creators was a huge bonus for people to continue to use their app. Uh, I think that really helps out people who use Twitter as an avenue for monetize, like monetizing themselves, uh, like artists who take on commissions. And this can help kind of like ease f themselves financially uh, by ex not exclusively working on commission and now they can just kind of monetize their presence online. And this also works for influencers too, who don't have to specifically rely on on brand deals. Um, I think uh, further on that the issues with threads are the fact that they don't have an adequate explore page with hashtag optimization, or at least like adequate keywords to see uh, to search by if they want to distance themselves from hashtags. And they still haven't connected ads manager yet. Oops, sorry. Uh, like I mentioned before, people need to advertise via keywords, especially people like artists or like online models. You lose a majority of these people working for themselves, creating their own following. And until you fix that and provide an adequate alternative, they're going to stay on Twitter. Um, and having no ads manager means businesses aren't really incentivized to like kind of market on the platform. Like, sure, they can connect with their audience, which is great, but getting them to convert has a ton of extra steps without having the ads manager there. You can't really link anything per thread, so you've got to go to the bio. And even then, it can really only be one landing page that you can put in your bio without having, like, a link tree or a link in bio. And even then, that's just so many different steps that the click-through rate for people to get anyone to convert from threads to a website has to be really low. Um, I don't think that means threads is dead, though. Businesses and influencers continue to use the app in conjunction like Twitter uh, with Twitter, perhaps on a lesser scale than I thought they would. Um, but it, threads can't really level up until these changes are made. I really think Meta needs to like nail this before the holiday shopping season. Uh, because having businesses advertise through threads as another platform on the ads manager could really help drive new sales for businesses. And that could be really huge for quarter four for a lot of businesses, and especially for Meta, getting that advertising revenue. Um, anyways, we'll see if that happens. That's everything. Thank you for tuning into the Social Room Podcast for another week. And I'll see you on week four, and we'll celebrate our one-month anniversary. See you next Friday. Thank you, guys.